This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Time Travelling Team. I'm Trisha. Each week, Paul and Dan do a fantastic job guiding us through the wide world of movies and TV shows. Meanwhile, my co-host Paddy and I are taking a trip through the time vortex and discussing the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey world of Doctor Who. Starting back from the earliest adventures in 1963, we're discussing the stories, the Doctor, the companions and the villains of this iconic show. You can find us at Time Team on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy as Paul and Dan do their thing, half-measure style. Kia ora and welcome into the Wellington studio for the 66th episode of Half Measures. And here to help me execute podcast 66 is the Dark Lord of the Wire Rapper himself. It's Dan Whiting. Kia ora, Paul. I appreciate that Order 66 quip. And as you were talking, I thought, I think he's going to go full Emperor. I think he's going to do it. And then, you know, the face really committed. That's when I knew it's going to be a good episode. Not everyone could see the face. And, um, you know, I've got a bit, I've been having a bit of sickness this week. And I feel like the, the coughing and the throat really helped play into that Palpatine, you know, the Emperor sort of vibe as well. It was good. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, you're very old and wrinkly as well. So um, that, it all these comes all together. True. It's beautiful. Mm. It is beautiful. But I do have to say, Dan, I, I have for like literally like the last four or five days, I've had quite a bit of the old man flu, as you know, one of the most debilitating and horrific of sicknesses ever uh i haven't even been into the office since last week so have, have you been cared for paul like do i need to send an aid package or i've been ha, are you recovering what, what's your status i've been very well cared for uh diana has been feeding me foods that are supposed to soothe all of these things specific things like even foods that i'm not really big on i've had honey on toast it was even cut up into little squares like i was a little baby as well it's it's i, I couldn't ask for more but what i could have asked for was the uh, you know maybe a little bit more TV watching because I'm coming in with excuses. I haven't got anything to talk about except for the shows that we've watched together. That said, I have started a show that you recommended uh, in your peak performance for John Goodman, uh, The Righteous Gemstones. Uh, I'm halfway through that, so by next week I'll have a a whole series to talk about. Plus, I also watched, um, I don't know if we've mentioned this before then, but you and I have been watching the second season of Breeders, which is dropping episodes week by week. And um, our intention is obviously to do a, like we did with Line of Duty last week, to do a full season review together when all the episodes have dropped. So, um, so yeah, so I, I haven't got much then. All right, well, I can pick up the slack because I, I feel like I dropped the ball a bit last week with the uh, move, but things are all getting back to back to normal. And I've managed to get a little bit of viewing in, which has been very good. So the first thing I've actually watched is the new um, Zack Snyder Netflix movie, Army of the Dead. So this is so fresh out on Netflix, and it's a it's a bit of an interesting one. Obviously, the last thing we watched of uh, Zack Snyder's was the uh, Snyder Cut of the Justice League. Hmm. And this is a really interesting movie, Paul. I don't know if you you know much about it, but it's basically a a zombie heist movie. So 
the basic premise is that there's a, a sort of zombie outbreak, but it's contained to Las Vegas. And um, as you would imagine, when Las Vegas goes into like a full lockdown, there's a whole bunch of money and things stored in there. So it's basically a... Um, Dave Patista, who you may remember from the WWE, pulls together a, a squad of people, a team, as you as you may call, and goes in to get the money out for for another party. But it's the basically the, the premise of the movie is him building the team, going in, trying to get the money, and trying to get out. And the one twist with this uh, zombie film is we're not talking your standard Walking Dead zombies. There's different tiers of zombies, so. So there's sort of the the real basic sort of, you know, want to eat you type zombies. But then there's these ones that are a bit more advanced and they can sort of communicate with one another. They're a bit more organized. There's even a zombie leader and there's all sorts of shenanigans that goes on in here. It's a bit of a, a different take on a, a pretty common genre. I feel like, firstly, I want to understand how I could, if I was a zombie because I'm pretty sure I would end up being a basic zombie. That's when you when you gave me the tears. That's how I felt like I would come out as one of the basic ones, right? Like, how do you become a a second tier or third tier? But I, I feel like maybe that's maybe that's a conversation for a different time. But what you have got here is two of the best genres, and you've combined them: the zombie genre and the heist. I love the heist movies, and so putting those two together, tell me this is a good movie, then. Um, it's it's not a bad movie. Like it's 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 pretty good. I'll just go back to your first question. So if you <laughs> want to become a, a, a not basic zombie, then you need to be bitten by a, a not basic zombie. So the not basic zombies, so the more advanced ones that are mm-hmm. uh, can communicate and sort of organise themselves. If you get bitten by one of those sort of alpha ones, shall we shall we say, then you you'll get turned into a, a better type of zombie. All right, well, since we're going there, and now I need to know, how did those not-basic zombies become, how, how did they become the, the ones that are communicating? What started? How far back do we have to go to find out how those ones become intelligent? Um, this was actually revealed in the movie, but now you're asking me, it's, this is a real half measure, I can't actually tell you, but they actually, they do describe it in the movie, of, this is how you become a more advanced one, this is how you become a basic one, and... And they, they, they sort of break down the whole science of it. But Brilliant. for the sake of our conversation, let's not go too deep and, and really shine our light on this half measure. That's good. <clears throat> um, so this this movie is, I think, I think it's it's fun. It's probably a little bit long, I would say. Um, like it's a two-hour, 28-minute movie, which is quite long for this sort of genre. And But in saying that, Zack Snyder loves to do a mm. good long movie. Um this has sort of been in the works for quite a while. There's a couple of sort of spin-offs in the works from it as well. So, look, if you've got Netflix, it's 100% worth a watch. Um, it's it's not the greatest movie I've ever seen. It's definitely not the worst movie I've ever seen. Um, it probably probably about three guns akimbo from me, okay. maybe two and a half. Uh, so it's it's you know we've we've definitely watched far worse than this. And I think as as you just mentioned, they've combined two really fun things. And you and I are already. Um, zombie fans so I think you'd probably enjoy this one Paul oh those two genres add in Zack Schneider this is relatively short by his standards right after Justice League and also looking at the cast I see we've got Garrett Dillahunt uh, our old mate John Dory from Fear the Walking Dead um, Tig Notaro from Star Trek Discovery there's there's a lot of things there even the poster the poster is really appealing so yeah I, I can see this being watched sooner rather than later 
Oh, yeah, the, the poster's epic. Like, it's got that real great sort of uh, Las Vegas neon light sort of vibe to it. Mm. And um, good good shout on um, old mate John Dory because he plays such a different character in this. Like, as soon as I saw him, I'm like, is that John? Like, and, you know, we've, we've been such fanboys about his character in Fear the Walking Dead and to see him play a bit more of a, a bad guy, um, it, oh, it didn't yeah. sit well with me because I know he's, he's good at heart. Mm. Nice. Uh, so, yep, check that out. The other thing that I um, have finally caught up on, uh, this is on Neon, is season three of Mayans MC. So this is sort of the spin-off series to Sons of Anarchy, and it's uh, sort of set after that after that timeline. And I've talked about Mayans here on the podcast before. This season was awesome. I absolutely loved every moment of it. I found like it's really kind of like found its stride. I, when I sort of think back to seasons one and two, I kind of felt like it was still in the shadow of Sons of Anarchy. Now they've kind of, they're doing their own thing. They've really developed out all their main characters. There's lots of plot twists. There's lots of that good sort of traditional Sons of Anarchy type drama where people are double crossing each other. It's got motorbikes. There's some hardcore fights in there. <laughs> motorbikes. Now I'm the basic one. Um, <clears throat> but this this is a really great season. And I I pretty much binged it over most of the weekend. And I just found myself watching episode after episode after episode. And I'm glad I saved it all up because I had a really great time. And if nothing, it's, it's got me super hyped for season four. I think motorbikes plus fighting – Plus, I'm just checking out severe violence, severe profanity. This has got Dan Whiting written all over it. I'm not surprised you had a great time. The ratings do look pretty high for that uh, third season as well. So um, that's great. Yeah, it, as I say, it, it, the first couple of seasons, like if you, if you were kind of on the fence about this and it was feeling too much or too soon after Sons of Anarchy, I would say come back and check it out. And I, I would hazard... I say this with caution, but if they keep going the way they're going, it could actually become better than Sons of Anarchy. They've also got some great um, Sons of Anarchy connections in the story. And, uh, you know, they've got um, a, a lot of the sort of – in Sons of Anarchy, obviously it was a lot around smuggling guns, dealing with um, the the Irish um, and – dealing with some of, some of the other gangs, whereas in uh, Mayans, they're dealing with, like, cartels, they're, they're in and out of Mexico, all sorts of dark and terrible stuff happens when they cross the border, they're dealing with sort of border patrol, it's it's really good. Awesome, it's a good plug for it. Um, so yeah, check that out on Neon. Uh, but apart from those two shows, uh, the only other things I've watched is the things that we've watched together. Should we move over to Star Wars The Bad Batch? Okay, so we're now at Season 1, Episode 4. Uh, the episode is titled Cornered. Um, they do real brief synopsis. I don't know if you ever looked up the synopsis. They're real brief. The Bad Batch's supply run goes awry, and that's that's uh, that's all they give us. Um, before I sort of talk about what I think about this one, I will note that it does look like a lot of people seem to be enjoying it based on ratings online, often when people hate on a show the numbers if anything are too low at times but this episode you know it's running at a 7.8 so it's obviously resonating with some people out there what are you thinking dan 
Um, well, I loved it for the fact that we got Fennec Shand in this, uh, played by Ming Na Wen. Um, obviously, we last saw Fennec Shand in The Mandalorian, which means that uh, that character obviously sort of survives through the um, uh, New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, obviously, and sort of it's good to sort of go back and, and find out a bit more about her character. I... Uh, I found this episode a little painful again, only because we're we were back dealing with Omega, um, basically going and getting herself kind of lost and doing something stupid. And I know that you know as a as a character, she has never been off world. She's never experienced all of these things. Um, but we that whole kind of aspect just felt like here we go again. On the on the positive side, though. As I say, I love Phoenix Shand, and I actually really love the sort of the story of um, Echo, I guess, and when he got sold as a droid, and kind of just some of the 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 things that they dealt with around that. I'd also sort of found it quite interesting that the the um, the Bad Batch, I guess, would were really kind of doing things that were probably counterintuitive to the way that they've been designed in terms of they were kind of ripping off people to mm. you know get deals get money there was a bit of you know, stealing speeder bikes and all that sort of stuff so look it was an okay episode it didn't do anything major for me in fact if it didn't have fennec in it i would probably have a more harsh review yeah it's you know it's interesting it didn't actually even register with me straight away that it was fennec shand and it was it was annoying me because I knew her voice. Um, so I think that's as you said. I think that's great having her come into this, linking into that uh, Mando law. Uh, you know, I think that was um, that was really really good. There was there was some things I really enjoyed about this episode. The speeder chase that they had, I thought that was great. It was really reminiscent of one of the few good scenes from Attack of the Clones. That was, you know, that was really, really good. It had like a fifth element feel to it. It's actually, it's actually worth rewatching that scene. I found just as a second watch, just for some of the background stuff. The the reason I hesitated at the start and wanted to hear what you thought is the Omega story. I feel like they're walking a really fine line. I don't know. I don't know who it is out there who's enjoying that storyline. And of course. You know they've already made these episodes, so there's nothing they can do to react to to this if the audience are not enjoying it. But uh, I just it's just not working for me. And I'm a huge Star Wars fan who is often accused, sometimes by listeners, um, as being you know loving whatever Lucasfilm serve serve up for us. Um, I am, you may recall, a fan of the Rise of Skywalker, which has led to me losing even more street cred. So it's kind of bittersweet, I guess, for me that I have a chance to say that this is something that I'm not enjoying enough. And that's the thing. I'm enjoying it, but I'm not enjoying it enough. Star Wars is top brass. And so I want to be hooked into everything. I want to, you know, the, I want the quality of the story in The Mandalorian. I want the same great things that drew me in to Clone Wars and Rebels. And I just, yeah, I... I this was an okay episode, but it's nothing. It's just not enough. And I feel like if they carry on with this storytelling approach, then what we actually have here is actually less than a than an eighth season of Clone Wars. Because at least with Clone Wars, we had the Anakin, Obi Wan, Ahsoka, Dooku, Palpatine, all that story going alongside. But here, we just literally have those clones. So, um, yeah. So that really detracted for me. I think that's the thing, right? Like, 
in uh, the Mandalorian, obviously we had Grogu, and it's still kind of a, a bit of a, a lot of babysitting episodes, but Grogu was kind of cute and adorable in its own way. I just find him a, a, a mega just kind of frustrating as a character and it just it doesn't align with just what I think of it you know we talked about a little bit about this last week it doesn't align with what I think the bad batch is or who they are and I think they I really hope that they start dropping some really sort of good sort of powerful episodes that really change my views on this because I don't want like I don't know if I want to review this week by week if we're just constantly dealing with sort of babysitting episodes where Omega gets lost on the planet doing something silly and that that might be great for I don't know the resistance audience but I, as you say Paul I, I I've always struggled with who are they aiming this at because it just I, I at times I feel like they don't know yeah that's right and look, we've got 16 episodes and they're going to run weekly all the way through to August as well so I really feel like we need to change gears because the ratings have essentially gone down since that really strong start. I think the stat, if anyone listened to that podcast a few weeks ago, really caught us both off guard. You know, we, we both thought it was much better than we expected and we've, we haven't managed to maintain that momentum. There were a couple of things that I thought were good. You know, obviously the Fennec Shand, I like seeing the, the Pantorans show up. I always um, enjoy seeing those because those, those are the blue guys with the red eye because that that's the I don't know if you ever spotted in um was it Revenge of the Sith or was it uh, was it Attack of the Clones I know Revenge of the Sith and it's um it's uh George Lucas who plays the uh, the Pantoran oh, yeah. so I always I always think of them and so that was pretty cool to see that and look speaking of Order sixty six the the Empire story is where the gold is at and I can only f- hope that they build on that and lean into that because we are, we are crossing into that original trilogy territory where we are right now. So there's a whole lot of love out there for that. So why not lean into that as much as possible? Mm. I wonder whether, you know, we often talk about, you know, should, should they sort of drop several episodes at once or is it better to kind of be drip fed? And I think it's, it almost needs to be decided, Paul, like people should come to you and I mm. and we should decide for them because I wonder whether a show like this might actually have done better with give us half the season, then maybe wait a couple of weeks and give us the other half of the season. And it might have been a bit more enjoyable and a bit more of that sort of deeper thread running through. It might have sort of hooked it all together, but kind of just watching these 20 minute episodes, I'm finding, finding it tough to really feel connected. Yeah, no, agreed. And on that note, the the runtime is getting less and less and less and less and now we are back down to that 22 minutes and you just don't get enough indeed indeed oh well a bit of a not a miss but just a another okay episode i think of Mm. star wars the bad batch shall we move on to fear the walking dead indeed so we're season six episode 14 mother the title of this one alicia is held prisoner by teddy and there she reunites with old friends and must confront her past if she hopes to move on and escape so we've we finally caught up with what's going on with alicia dan can i ask you and firstly maybe i should say to listeners don't forget to use the show notes to check the timings you can move on to the next thing if you don't watch fear the walking dead not everyone's hanging in there like we are dan can i say, can i ask you dan when when cole and viv and doug showed up on screen were you 
Oh, hey, it's Cole and Viv and Doug. Or were you? Do we know who these people are? Yeah, I. If it wasn't for Alicia being like, "Oh, hey guys," I, you, I could have. They could have been completely random people to me. And in fact, as she started talking, they kind of seemed familiar. But I, yeah, no, they weren't. They weren't fresh in my mind. No idea who they were. I, I, I had a look on online, and so these guys showed up for four episodes at the start of season four back in 2018, back in the days of Madison and Co back you know a, a long time ago i i love the idea of bringing people back but it kind of fell flat for me and and for diana because it's just like they th- those characters for four episodes just hadn't come to the surface enough so it was a great idea but uh that bit just didn't didn't quite work that said this episode uh, on the whole i i quite enjoyed at least i i enjoyed the idea of what they were were trying to do in this episode i thought um I think there could have been a better way of doing it. So I liked, I liked how they were trying to get Teddy to, to, you know, to try and confirm for himself whether Alicia, her values and, and whether she's the person that can lead people forward uh, after he's let off this submarine bomb <laughs> uh, and kill everyone. But I feel like there was a quicker way that we could have got to there than having to drag us through the story with four people that hardly anyone could, could remember but um yeah submarine missile that's what the key's for we finally know who would have thought well and they've been obviously hanging on to that key for a long time because morgan's been wearing one of those keys runners neck for at least last season did he get that or Mm, last half of the season he got one of the keys yeah it's 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 unexpected and I gotta be honest. I want to see. I want to see the sub now. Now they've got <laughs> submarine is not something you expect to see in The Walking Dead. It's not you don't expect to see anything in in the in that apocalyptic world. I did. I did like um, a little bit of the the flashback when we got to see the news reports of you know before people really understood what was going on in this in this zombie world. I quite like sort of seeing things at the at the very sort of catalyst point of of when the virus hit. I thought that was that was pretty good. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say, because I know you are a big Alicia fan and you like her to be that badass. And I, I said something last week when we were talking about Handmaid's Tales, which I thought was um, could sound wrong out of context. And I, this week I'm going to do the same thing here with Alicia. And that is that I am so glad that she pulled the trigger and killed Cole. I, I just, I really thought that was important that she did that. Because so often in this show, there are characters that just... You know, they they just really are just not saying the right things. And as as horrific and as outrageous as it might be to say, they deserve the trigger to be pulled. Yeah, look, I, I think so. And I think you, you kind of took the words out of my mouth. Like, I, I am an Alicia fan, and it was I always look forward to an episode with her in it. And I was I was excited when we saw the uh, the title credits play and we saw her silhouette. Um, I thought it was a. a, a a pretty good episode. I thought they did quite a good job of making me kind of appreciate Teddy as the big bad, considering we've only this is only really our second um, meeting of him. Mm. Um, I I've got a couple of a couple of things which were kind of a bit a bit quirky, I guess. I feel like you know when Alicia like pokes her hand through the zombie and like mm-hmm. points a gun. Yeah, I thought that that was both great and ridiculous. Like, I'm just going to use this hole in the zombie's chest to to point a gun and use him as a meat shield. That was a that was a lot of fun. Um, I that was good. 
I also, I also, you know, speaking of Cole and the the other randoms which we're supposed to remember, I get frustrated, Paul, by so Cole leads them into a trap, and then Cole and his haphazard group all of a sudden get kind of ambushed by these actual zombies. And it's like, guys, you have been living in this apocalypse for several years now. You should not be that basic to just all of a sudden be overrun by a handful of walkers coming out of the car. And, you know, that one lady gets kind of like smashed against the windscreen and she's like, ah, and it's just like, you've been living in this world for a long time. It's kind of just ridiculous how easy sometimes people get taken out. And I just, I feel like those people would have been taken out a long, long time ago. Yeah, well, maybe they weren't dealing with basic zombies here. Maybe they were dealing with the next tier of zombie. Maybe that's the what alphas. it was. Yeah, that's right. I get it. I get it. Um, yeah, look, so look, overall, I thought it was a, a good episode. Um, I feel like they've set us up for hopefully a bit of a, a banger for the final two episodes that we've got left. Mm. So so that should be quite good. I don't really care about Ted and his henchmen. I'm pretty sure they're going to be able to solve this case of um, the submarine and the the pesky teddy, and they'll unmask him, and it'll be like, if it wasn't for you pesky kids, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, yeah, no, like, it was fine. It just, I don't know, didn't. I think they progressed the story enough. They've given us a, enough of a glimpse of the bad guy. They've kind of gone for something a little bit more complicated where they've split up all the sort of main characters. They've solved the big case. Now, obviously, we're, we're hopefully going to see the submarine because – that will be interesting, and I'm sure it's going to come down to the wire to making sure that that nuclear bomb doesn't go off. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think Teddy, for me, really triggers me. He's All of his qualities really annoy me. He's one of those people that when you're deliberately trying to piss them off, no matter what you say to him, it's what he wanted to hear, and that's what he expected, and he's, he's always one step ahead of you, and I, I really don't like that. Um, one positive, though, um, even though he wasn't in the episode – I spotted um, Keith Carradine's name in the main credits. So this is the guy who plays John Dory's dad, John Dory Sr. And, you know, I think I said last week or week before, oh, it must have been last week, uh, you know, maybe he's going to join the main crew. Because if, if your name's in the main credits and you get credited, even if you don't show up, that means you're part of the crew. So that's that's pretty cool. And the the, the, the other thing – oh, go, Dan, you go. No, I was just going to say, I I – even just looking on IMDb, there's so many of the main cast who are credit only. They must be just stamping that paycheck every week. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Yeah. And they'll even do like an episode here and there. It must be fantastic. That's how I want things to work at my work. Um, and also, the, the, other, the last thing I wanted to say was, you know how last week you said um, you thought uh, when Riley was dressed up as a, as a zombie, he kind of reminded you of Wacken Phoenix's Joker? Well, I, I spotted... Again, looking at the credits as they were running at the start, I, I spotted the name in the opening credits, Nick Stahl. And I was like, why do I know that name? And then ding dong, it, it did ring a bell. He, he's the guy who played John Connor in Terminator 3 back in tw- 2003 in the third Terminator movie. So that's why his face was so familiar. And that's why the name rang a bell. It's John Connor. He survived all the way through to the apocalypse. Ding dong, it did ring a bell. I love that, Paul. Ding, ding dong. dong, ding dong. Oh, that's uh, interesting. Um, it was um, Samara came in when I was watching this episode, and she was like, "What happened to the the druggy brother?" And I'm like, "Nick." And she's like, "Yeah, where's he?" I'm like, oh, "It's been a long time since we've had Nick on the show." 
He was great. I miss Nick actually. I, Nick was one of the best characters. He was he was really really good, and I was shocked when they did the cast change. I think some of them did need to go. I thought he was he was a ringleader for me. He would have been basically right up there for me as one of the the, the number one characters that came out of those first two three seasons. So there, so yeah, he's gone. I guess you can't. As soon as Lenny James came over, um, and mm. then Austin Emilio, like they, I guess they had to have a bit of a shake up. But yeah, look, overall, uh, it was a it was a good episode for me, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing where the the next two take us. It should be good. Shall we pop across then to our latest episode of The Handmaid's Tale? Indeed. So this is episode six, um, and this one is titled Vows. So after a shocking reunion with a dear friend, June contemplates the possibility of freedom and confronts the unfulfilled promises she's made to herself and to Luke. So this basically, this episode um, picks up right after the bombing of Chicago, and June um, comes across her old friend Moira Strand. And we still don't have uh, any sort of actual conclusion around what's happened to June, but um, Moira eventually did sort of manage to convince June to come with her on the on the boat, on the humanitarian boat. Let's get you back to Canada. Um, and that all sort of turned pear-shaped pretty quickly when it turned out that that isn't actually the process. You can't just take people from um, Gilead or what's left of America back into Canada. You actually have to leave them there and come back, but they smuggled June onto the boat. And then sort of the, I guess the story really unfolded of, you know, we got quite a bit of backstory around June and Luke and some of their experiences together. And, you know, June was really torn about whether she wanted to go and she wanted to turn back. And it all became sort of high tension. Um, when Gilead, when they find out that Gilead uh, actually inspects the boats before they leave mm. um, Gilead waters, and there was a real sort of touch-and-go moment about whether was June going to be sort of handed back over? Was she going to be caught? It was uh, quite a bit going on in this episode. What did you think, Paul? Yeah, that point that you just touched on there, that for me was the heart of the episode. This was really stressful, I have to say. And, and on that basis alone, I I really enjoyed this episode. And it delivered a different type of tension and a... And a really great ending for like the second week in a row as well. Honestly, the the whole way through this episode, I did not expect June to to, to get to Canada or to see Luke or anything. I did not expect her to get on the boat from the start. You know, the, the boat's leaving. Any other situation in real life, that boat's gone, right? I don't know how she made it onto that boat. And then when she did make it on, and then the, I didn't expect this, you know, to survive that security inspection from Gilead. And that for me, I was like, oh yeah, that's definitely the, that's them writing in how they're, they're going to catch her and get sent back to Gilead. But no, and despite me saying no ways it's going to happen, she made it. And so I thought that was amazing. And I got, <laughs> I got really annoyed with June every time she tried to, to sort of, to get away and to not go to Canada. I was like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you you need to get out of there we've had four seasons even though of course if she's gone the tension's gone so yeah i was i was amazed when she made it out to be honest yeah i think um i feel like i might have had a bit of a epiphany or a bit of a, a breakthrough this episode 
Because you know how I've always been kind of harping on all, all of the season, when is she going to become Sarah Connor? When is she going to become the leader of the, the resistance? When is she going to em- embrace the Mayday title? And I feel like this episode actually chilled me out quite a bit, and it actually just made me actually think, actually, not every character needs to go and be the the, the next Sarah Connor. Like, this is like June's June's story and maybe this is actually it's just a a tale of survival and it doesn't actually have to be that she becomes the the top dog and she's kicking down doors in Gilead it's it's okay that that doesn't happen and I yeah I'm with you I, I thought it was a really good episode I really enjoyed the sort of the different tone I enjoyed the kind of surprise tension um it was definitely sort of a, a moving scene when she's you can tell right before she sort of steps off the boat that like as soon as she takes that step like she she's free mm. um i'm really looking forward to seeing where they go with this story now i definitely sort of thought can see a a waterford meeting sometime in the future there's there's no like something's going to happen there where she's going to have to meet them she's going to see them and it's going to get tense I'll go further than that. I think she has to be at some point going back to Gilead. I, I cannot imagine that this, you know, how last week I was sort of saying that the, the, the heart of this show, the tension of this show is June in captivity. And now not only was she on the run, now she's free. Now she's back in Canada. That's, that's not, something's going to happen. And I'm really curious to see how they, how they do this. Um, but it was, um, it was a very narrow focus episode and I don't mind that once in a while, you know, we didn't get anything on Janine, you know, what's going on with her, does she survive or anything else, but we did get a lot of flashbacks instead. And that can be frustrating for a lot of people, but I guess they're, they're trying to set that tone and uh, as to what it was like before, um, now that they're back together. Um, I'm very keen to see what her feeling towards Luke is. And I still, I still wonder whether she will, even though she's in Canada now, if she will still end up with Nick somehow. And that that is still where my money is. And on that note, Dan, just while I think of it, we actually got a Facebook message this week from from Karen in Wellington, who's recently started listening to the podcast. Kia ora, Karen. And with regards to Handmaid's Tale, she, she said to us, sorry to break this to you, but June is not in love with Nick and needs to get home to Luke. And she sent that through before this episode dropped. So Karen's obviously on the money, but I still think somehow she's going to wind back up in Gilead. And I still think Nick's going to be part of that story. I definitely still think she, I think she's in love with Nick because I think, because her and Nick basically like they've, they've also got a child together. Um, and I, I think it's going to be one of the driving reasons that she's going to go back. And I think that um, the interesting thing I thought with Luke, and I thought they played it out really well, and I think it sort of speaks to the the quality of the acting here, is you really got the sense when they first saw each other for the first time, June obviously has got all this baggage, she's got all this stuff that's happened to her, all this like terrible sort of stuff that, that Luke probably can't even sort of comprehend or begin to know, but they're just sort of coming at it from such different points and you could kind of tell she was you know even just the way that she she broke down and kind of apologized straight away for for not having um hannah and it was it was it was really good and i think there's probably going to be an interesting story to to play out there and i i think that luke probably is going to want to sort of like rekindle but i i think june's not going to want a bar of it well we'll see which way that goes so yeah. I think too the other thing just on that, um thinking about Karen's comments. 
you may, maybe loves too too strong a word because I think you know um, uh, Nick is he's done some pretty terrible things as well, um, but I still think there's there's some connection there which is going to bring those two back together. And I think Nick is pulling too many strings behind the scenes in Gilead to to not see her again. Yeah, no, I think you're right. That said. That said, I was I'm, I don't have a good track record when it comes to making predictions with people called Luke because, of course, I got it completely wrong about Luke Skywalker in The Mandalorian. So I guess we'll see which way that one plays out. But I feel like we are at a critical point in this season and what happens in this next episode. Uh, I, I wonder how long we will have June in Canada and June in relative freedom that she's she's in at this point and uh, i'm i'm curious as, as to whether you're right whether the waterford you know if there's going to be some way that they those characters come back together again as well which of course is is exactly what hooked us in right from the start in those shocking first three episodes of season one with the waterfords and and uh and june and now to see the three of them in canada on different sides of the law and different sides of power could be really interested well, I think if you want to bring some line of duty in here, if you want to punish the Waterfords to the to the letter of the law, Paul, then you need to get June in in that room or in a in a courtroom or somewhere making some, giving her account, giving her a witness statement, and then you know AC twelve will be all all over it. I think Waterford does have the right to be questioned by an officer, at least one rank senior to his rank. So uh, I'm not sure if that would work, but yeah. We'll see where we go. I'm excited. I'm uh, of all the shows we're watching at the moment. This is the one that I'm probably the most always keen to see the next episode drop for. So that's a that's a good sign. Awesome. So yeah, another great round of shows that we've been watching together. Speaking of shows that we've been watching together, shall we move on to our movie of the week? Let's do it. So week in week out, Dan and I watch a movie and then we review it the following week. And each week we put that movie title into our discord community which you can join by clicking on the link in the show notes and then you can watch along with us and listen to our review which we're going to do now and this week dan we watched the woman in the window we did indeed so this is a new movie on netflix and stars amy adams gary oldman and uh, anthony mackie and a whole host of other people we'll get to shortly but it's basically about an agoraphobic woman who's living alone in new york and begins spying on her neighbors only to witness a disturbing act of violence and this is a an interesting movie um i feel like it's a a concept that's been done before a few times for me. I feel like I've, it reminds me of, uh, not completely the same, but like Disturbia or there's, there's another movie I can't quite think of. It's sort of got a, a, a similar vibe. And what I think what I found interesting about this movie is I thought it had a really sort of, if I think about this movie in three parts, the first part I thought really interesting. I thought I, great cast. I kind of enjoyed the what's actually going on here, who's actually the crazy person, um, are these things happening, which our, our main character, um, Amy Adams, who plays Anna Fox, is, is seeing, are, are these things actually happening? I think it gets a little bit kind of messy, kind of in, in that middle half, and maybe a little bit long-winded. And then in the final sort of act, it completely kind of changes the type of movie it is, and I felt like we sort of gone from this this thriller um, to almost sort of a, a real tense, borderline sort of 
um, murder, thriller, horror situation, light horror. Um, but it was a, yeah, it was an interesting one. I also thought just one other interesting thing is, so the cast in this movie, so we had Wyatt Russell, who um, basically plays the roommate of, of Amy Adams, and then Amy Adams' uh, husband, who we don't, we only sort of hear his voice, is played by Anthony Mackie. So Anthony Mackie is actually the um, Falcon from Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Wyatt Russell um, actually plays the US agent. So they've just they've come from the same same TV show, Paul. Great to see them together again. Dan, as you know, I make very few notes before this podcast other than the, ma- the mailbag maybe and one of the things i wrote down because i wanted to surprise you in case you hadn't picked up on it was the link for the falcon and the winter soldier but you've already got it so um so well done um also when you were thinking about movies that this reminded you of i was and if you saw me sort of smiling here because rear window the 1954 hitchcock movie is a top 10 movie of all time for me and so Rear Window, uh, of course, then you had Secret Window with Johnny Depp, uh, Disturbia. There's been a lot of things. And so I really enjoyed this this movie way more than I thought I might, partly because I'd, well, I'd seen such low ratings online, which is never a great step, but also because I was worried it might be an attempt to recreate that the classic Rear Window, and that's always dangerous territory. But it really, it really wasn't. It did go in its own direction in that... Uh, in that regard and i am keen to understand you know why it's received relatively low ratings i've looked through some of the reviews and a lot of people have been talking about oh it's not as good as the book can i just say if you're one of those people that say oh it's not as good as a book it really pisses me off honestly it's like if it's not as good as a book great but judge it for what it is i don't know i just i've i've read a few books and watched the movies that go with it and yeah i just they're, they're separate things to me I've just offended half the audience, I'm sure. I've read some books in my time. Um, yeah, I, I find that comment annoying as well because I think a book is such a different medium as well. Like a book really gives you a chance to get inside a, a character's head and understand so many different things, whereas obviously a, a two-hour movie or this is what, an hour 40, um, you, you, you have to make some some cuts and you have to make some different decisions. And they, it, it's kind of unfair to, to always compare them. And it's almost kind of a, a cheap review when that happens. Like I thought this movie was actually okay. It definitely deserves better than it's getting on IMDb. That's for sure at the moment. Mm. Now there's a there's just a lot about it. Like I said, the 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 style of the direction in this one was was great. There was some really some really good shots that added to the suspense, the angle at which they used the, the, some really clever angles when she's looking across the street over at the neighbors through the binoculars or or whatever. And the director Joe Wright previously has directed. Pride and Prejudice and Atonement and The Darkest Hour. And so this was a real different flavor of a of a movie for him, I thought. And um, just on the subject of the support cast, Gary Oldman, who of course would have worked with him on, on Darkest Hour, he was, he was good in this as support, yet another different look for him. He was pretty terrifying in his own way. Julianne Moore, she was really good as the as the whole is she real? or is she in Amy Adams imagination type character? Um, so yeah, there was just enough in here. Um, the fact that you just couldn't predict which way it was going to go next. Um, Amy Adams is another, 
Another actress who, whenever I see her, I always seem to really enjoy her performance. I think she'd be a, another great one for us to have as a as a peak performance sometime. I always find her quite a compelling watch, and I thought she was. I thought she carried off this part really, really well. Like they, you know, with with due respect, they made quite an effort to make her look quite dishevelled and, and quite out of sorts and quite under the weather. And I thought that she she leaned into that role really, really well. So, um, yeah, I. I don't don't believe the the bad ratings that it's getting online. From my point of view, I give this three guns akimbo. I'd a, I'd a really enjoyable watch of this. Yeah, I I would be happy with three as well. I think it's um, you know, you and I both enjoy those films that are kind of a little bit claustrophobic too, and kind of filmed in mm. quite a tight setting. And this is a good uh, a good example of one of those movies, but maybe a little bit wider than we than we normally talk about with uh, criminal or anything like that but it's still in a you know most of this movie is shot within in her house and That's right. you are still really trying to have to get within with her new mind understanding her condition understanding what she's sort of fighting against and yeah it, it, it's a good watch and i think again if you've got netflix why wouldn't you watch it get amongst 100 percent, 100 percent. then why don't we pop across to the daniel whiting news desk all right, all right, all right. So, um, what have we got today? So, I don't know whether you would have seen Paul as a, a as a big Marvel fan, but there's been a new trailer that's just dropped for Marvel's Eternals, and it's the first teaser trailer. And if you haven't seen it, I'd recommend jumping on YouTube and and checking it out. It's got a pretty um, star-studded cast, as as you probably know if you've sort of been watching any of the any of this. Um, we've obviously got Richard Madden, we've got Kit Harrington, who were both in uh, Game of Thrones, we've got Selma Hayek, we've got Angelina Jolie, um, but, uh, we've got Kimmel um, Nanjani, like there's, there's, front, there's just so many great actors, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with this movie. Yeah, so I don't I don't actually know anything about the Eternals, but I did see a few remarks to the trailer online with people sort of saying, oh, forget about Infinity War, forget about Thanos these Eternals are just sitting back and watching everything. So these feel like a, like a tier above and bearing in mind, I've still got some catch up to do, but it, I get the, I get the idea that these people are like the real big players. Yeah. I, th- I think that's the interesting thing, right? Like they, they make the comment in the trailer that, um, you know, the Eternals have never interfered and now they're kind of getting involved. And th- there's a really cool moment at the end of the trailer where they, or the teaser trailer where they actually mention, uh, Iron Man and Captain America. And so obviously they've, they've been watching everything that's been happening. So it should be interesting. Um, I'm, I know nothing about the Eternals either. So should be a, a one to watch. Mm. Speaking of trailers, we've also had a new trailer for season five of Rick and Morty. And I don't know if you've watched this one, Paul, but there's already been a few trailers that have come out. But this looks like another wild, wild ride from uh, from the team over there and another one that I'll be looking forward to watching. No, 100%. I, I wonder if, if, given this is the first time we've been recording, when a season sort of dropped, if we maybe, maybe do more in-depth reviews of that, because that is... Quite possibly, I don't know if it's a big call or not, but quite possibly one of the top two, top three animated comedies of all time, I would say. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Well, yeah, it'll be normally we get it uh, week by week, so I presume we'll get it the same way this time around. So mm. um, expect some uh, reviews of that coming up. Uh, what else have I got here? It looks like uh, Emily Blunt has said that um, A Quiet Place is actually planned as a trilogy. So 
They've just released uh, Quiet Place 2. It's just at theatres here in New Zealand. Definitely one that I am very keen to check out. So cool that they're looking at this as a, a bit of a trilogy because it's quite a, a fun um, fun movie. Well, the first one was anyway. I love that. Yeah, a lot of good things been said about that movie. So yeah, why not have three? Great. Uh, and then final bit of news, it looks like uh, Jonah Hill has signed up to be uh, part of a new TV series that's in the works as a Hollywood fixer, and it's been created by uh, one of the writers of The Departed, which looks pretty good, um, and I don't know about you, Paul, but I really like my sort of Hollywood fixer-type movies, and it sort of says he's got ties to... Um, to the to the mob and all that sort of stuff so i imagine if it's anything like a sort of a ray donovan type vibe i imagine this will be uh top quality it'll be interesting to see what uh what type of vibe jonah hill brings to this whether there's a a little bit of humor and banter in there or it gets a bit more serious but either way i imagine it will be one to watch awesome yeah jonah hill just always great value both in front of and behind the camera really really great and that is me, Paul. Is there anything on your news desk? Only a couple of little things that came up for me. So the second greatest actor of our generation, obviously behind Sir Michael Keaton, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He is going to be headlining his first ever TV show for for Netflix. And I haven't read too much of the details yet, but uh, at age 73, he's decided the time is right for him to, to come to come to television so that's that's always exciting i know it's a spy series and that's about all i know and i've deliberately tried to avoid anything else because i just want to be surprised and shocked and in absolute awe of whatever this man is going to bring to the to the tv screen these older guys pauls like they uh they're winding up i'm, I'm trying to wind down yeah. and they're like you know clint eastwood and schwarzenegger they're trying to do more and more and i'm just like how can i do less and less exactly doing right it wrong. I, I'm 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 winding down already too, and the other the second thing um, is that Henry Cavill is going to star in a reboot of Highlander. So um, that's obviously a you know Highlander is one of those sort of cult followings. It's quite a classic, and so I, th- I you know just when you look at Henry Cavill, you think oh yeah he could he could quite easily come in and uh, and play that role but um there can only be one they say i wonder if he's going to be the right one we'll find out i feel like i'm so used to the highlander being sort of pure sort of scottish i it'll be interesting to see um how this all plays out but yeah look let's give it a go and especially because henry Campbell's already playing the witcher like mm. he's kind of got all the all the sword jobs Indeed, he does. And on that note, I'll just take us across the road to the mailbag. Um, just a couple of things in here this week. Firstly, if you're a fan of Line of Duty, then you already know how amazing the theme music is for the series. And last week we had the composer of that theme music, uh, Carly Paradis. Uh, she shared a review of season six of Line of Duty on Twitter, and she even sent us a little blue heart response emoji. So there you go. So that was cool. Um, also, Line of Duty, a new listener of the podcast, Janelle from Wellington, uh, sent us a DM on Instagram saying she loves Hastings. She really enjoyed our review of season six. Great insights and evaluations. So thank you, Janelle. 
And finally, last week's peak performance, we had John Goodman. So we had uh, we had Michael Chalmers from Charlotte go with the Big Lebowski. We also had Eric Dixon from California also go with the Big Lebowski. What was interesting was that both uh, Michael and Eric both dropped quotes from John Goodman as that character uh, on our Instagram. So, so that was pretty good. That's kind of what makes him so good, eh, is all those great lines that he, he got to shout all over the screen. That was brilliant. Sarah, meanwhile, from Parirua here in New Zealand, went for something slightly different. She went with the Flintstones. <laughs> and I, I, I have to admit... I thought that was a lot of fun when it came out, and I don't think I've ever seen it since it came out. But I do remember, as a fan of the cartoon back in the in the day in the in the early eighties, I I did enjoy that movie. And the last one, as always, Paddy from Time Traveling Tink Podcast, his three, two, one. He went with the character Sully uh, from the Monsters Inc. franchise. Great shout! I love that. Um, number two, Oh Brother, where are they? And his number one, just like us and most people, it seems. The Big Lebowski, and that's the mailbag, Dan. I remember going to the Flintstone movie with my dad. He was a big Flintstone fan. Um, and I remember him having a great time in that movie. And I, when we were looking at John Goodman last week, I actually I brought up that movie. And I, I'm a bit like you. It's got a terrible review, and I don't think I've ever seen it since. No. <laughs> a great shout. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes people come out with stuff that I either haven't heard of or haven't seen or it's just a a movie that i just haven't seen for a long time and that's a, a great show what, what makes it a great show for me is i wonder if that would be something i could get away with watching with the kids if they might think it was fun or if it's only fun because you grew up with the cartoon i don't know Mm-mm. i think it was probably unfortunately at that time when movie like you know when the they hadn't quite sort of – we were in between the digital age and kind of in the uh, – like the sort of the puppets and the big polystyrene-type props. And it, it would probably be an interesting remake today, actually. It would probably be quite a bit of fun. Yeah. No, I think it, I think it would be on um, – I can't remember. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I might give it a go if I can find it somewhere. Awesome. It must be time for our peak performances. Indeed. So just like the movie of the week, Dan and I take it in turns each week to choose an actor, actress, producer or director. And then we we choose our top three performances. And this week, Dan, we went with Morgan Freeman. What have you got for, for Morgan Freeman? Do you know, Paul, when you said Morgan Freeman, I was like, surely we've done Morgan Freeman. Like, Impossible, he's right? a he, He's a classic. Like, he would have been a go-to many an episode ago, but... Clearly not. So this was, uh, you know, often with these big names, it, it does get quite hard to sort of like narrow it down to your top three. Um, and the three that I'm going to go with, they're actually movies that we, we've talked about many times on the pod. Um, so I'm not going to sort of go too deep into detail on them. But so number three, um, I went with the 1992 movie, Unforgiven. Uh, this is one of those westerns we've talked about a lot, one of our sort of, favorite more modern westerns and i think um morgan freeman's role in this movie much like my second choice movie um billion dollar baby though morgan freeman isn't the main actor in either of these movies he does a really good job working with clint eastwood breaking down that sort of hard edge that he does Mm. and often he plays the the friend uh to to clint eastwood and so yeah so number one sorry number three 
Unforgiven. Number two, Million Dollar Baby. That movie still sits with me today. It's honestly so, so good. That came out in 2004. And my number one choice is the 1995 movie Seven. So, again, um, Morgan Freeman sort of plays the the cop partner to to Brad Pitt and this this is such a great movie and I think we might have talked about it it must be time for a bit of a, a rewatch of this one because it's been a, a long time since I've seen it but again I could I couldn't imagine a better detective partner and you know Morgan Freeman's known for that sort of that stoic strong um, voice of reason and uh, I would imagine it'd be fantastic great stuff we're kind of you? in yeah, we're, we're kind of in sync, Dan, kind of. A little bit different, though, because um, I went with 2008's The Dark Knight as my number three. And really, if I'm honest, I could just say the whole trilogy. It's the it's that character of, of Lucius Fox that I really, really love because this is a this is a less known character in the in the in the Batman universe, I would say. And, you know, you've got Michael Caine as Alfred and you've got Christian Bale as as, as Bruce Wayne. And, and so to introduce another character to come in and I think you, you need to have a great actor to play. It. And I just feel that his relationship, I feel like for Lucius, he has that perfect tone, that perfect calmness. And I just thought he was outstanding. And uh, across the movies, I thought he was outstanding. Um, I, I, if I'm honest, I randomly picked the Dark Knight. I think it could be any of the three, but just that character was great. Um, number two uh, was your number one, uh, seven, 1995, seven. This was the movie that actually made me think about having Morgan Freeman as our peak performance because we talked about it when we did our uh, review, um, uh, sorry, our peak performance the other week and it came up and yeah, we've talked about it before, just absolutely classic, absolutely just one of the all-time greats. And yes, as you said, definitely a rewatch. But my number one, I actually went with, I think, what people would probably say cliche is kind of his 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 sort of um possibly his most iconic or most well known um and that is the the Shawshank redemption so um it's been a long time since i've seen this movie i would dare say i've seen it since 94 when it first came out but it has been a long time and it's so satisfying every time you watch it it's it is and i checked on imdb when you look at their all-time top list, it is still number one movie of all time on IMDb. So that's that's uh, that's pretty damn good, right? And and Morgan Freeman is just just the absolute epitome of perfection in this movie for me. He's he's alongside Tim Robbins, he is amazing. So yeah, Lucius Fox Seven and The Shawshank Redemption. Great choices, Paul. Great choices. I love it when we get to kind of do a widespread of some movies so that we, we capture as many as possible. Mm. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. Hopefully we have successfully executed Order 66. I feel like we have, and if we haven't, do let us know. Get in touch with us at halfmeasurespodcast.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Half Measures Pod. And also a note to say thank you once again to Time Travelling Tink Podcast for supporting this week's episode. 
Also, a special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara King and Trisha Brady. If you would like to become a supporter of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, it's adios.